I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to The Andy Rowe Show. Mircea Tsilokovic survived a war in which over 100,000 people died in the heart of Europe during the early 90s. Mirsad was just 13 years old when the Bosnian war devastated his young life. Like the entire country, Mirsad's village was divided with friends, neighbours and even family forced to pick a side and fight. Forced into concentration camps, constantly tortured and on the brink of starvation, this is the story of survival and ultimately escape. I hope you enjoy the episode. Before we start, a massive thank you to our sponsor this week, Sons, who helped make this show happen. Sons are all about helping your gut. One in four people suffer from gut health issues like IBS, abdominal pain, gas and bloating. Gut health is vital to your general wellness, with 70% of your immune system located there. It's also linked to mental health, improved sports performance and general well-being. Sun's live bacteria supplement is clinically proven to treat digestive troubles and improve your gut health. I've been using it and I can't speak highly enough of the difference it's made. Check it out at suns.co.uk and use the code ANDY25 to get 25 quid off your first order. Your gut will thank you and you'll also be supporting the podcast and the work we do, which is always much appreciated. Mirsad Slekovic, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you, guys. Your book is amazing, um, The Boy Who Said Nothing, and we're going to talk our way through it because it's a harrowing story, and we're going to talk our way through the whole the whole situation, and I want to start, let's start with your village. Paint the picture of pre-war. What was Mirsad like? What was your family like? What was the village like? What were the sort of day-to-day things? How did you live? It was idyllic. I've had idyllic childhood surrounded with greenery, beautiful green mountains all around us. And we were like in the middle of it. So all the way around we had mountains. So in the winter, we had a proper snow season. In autumn, you have a bit of rain and wind. In the spring, it's like we say in California, 22 degrees. Um, And then the summer, we're roasting hot, 40, Mm. up to 40 degrees. We had everything. There was absolutely nothing missing in our childhood we felt that we were in a center of the world because we were sent in a center of the europe so we had influences from asia and we had influences from europe and the rest of the world as, as kids growing up we'd watched the american films cowboys and indians we had 36 different nationalities in my little town kozaret that consisted of um, fifteen thousand people we're like family I was named by my dad's best friend, a Serbian friend. He'd chosen that name and he really liked it. My dad says, um, since you are like a godfather to my son, you can name him. And he named me Mirsa. What was school like? Did you play sport at school? What were the teachers like? It, just give me a the lowdown on what it was like being at school in your village. I was a good pupil in school. I was a good sportsman, uh, particularly I was good in basketball. I was always a a skinny child. I've always had the muscles poking out like Bruce Lee. Always wore my vest. And I was competitive. I was praised by um, my PE teachers that have got a lot of potential to follow up the sports in Yugoslavia. was massive in in Mm. basketball. Um, I cannot compare it nowhere near. The UK, we haven't got basketball developed to no stage. But your your teacher... Your basketball teacher was a big fan of yours, wasn't he? Yes, he he didn't have children and uh, he, he gave me a lot more attention than any other children. He was Serbian, wasn't he? In May, we had a school assembly. The headmaster made it clear that we will finish the year and it was year seven early due to um, our safety 
the war was on the way to your village. So yeah, they ended it, school. it didn't say that potentially the war could, could kick off and we'd be safer at home with our families and we'll meet up normally in September. I wouldn't even say it was tensed until Friday when I walked in a change room. I already got dressed. I mean, my shorts, vest, I was always um, a most obedient and disciplined child coming from a, a family that's really... Uh, hard-working, they were farmers, they were really disciplined and respected people in the village. You know, you're talking to your chaps and stuff and your teacher comes in and he co- and the first time I've seen him on a day, so he's um, a coach that taught us all the sport. He's got a full uniform on. Army uniform. Army uniform. And in his hand he had Kalashnikov and, and the way he's put the gun is facing me. So I'm like opposite him and the gun is facing me. So he said, sir, this, the gun is facing me and why are you wearing a uniform? That's two questions. And, and he, he, he was smoking. He was a PE teacher in the 90s. He, he found it normal that he would smoke in his office at that time. It was really bizarre. And he, he got angry and he walked he walk up to me and says, are you scared of me because I'm a Serb? Do you think I'm going to kill you? I said, sir, I didn't know you were a Serb. I, I thought we were all the same. And this is when I was shocked. And the first time I've seen the other side of the teacher, he, he was upset, he's having a go. And I've seen the silence that kind of overshadowed the whole room. That's a lot to process. How old were you? 13. Was he like a father figure for you? Yeah, in school he was. Tell me about the last day at school. Then, the, you know, when the war starts and there's a siren goes off. Yeah. Talk me through that situation. So I, on a last day, you get like a, like a passport. It's, it's a little book with all your grades and they've handwritten all your subjects. And I had overall grade A pass. I couldn't wait to reach home to share the good news. I um, embraced my mum, we hugged, and I just heard a siren going off, and that was May 1992. And I asked my mum, what's this? It's a war siren. That means uh, it's not safe to be inside a house. We have to leave and we have to find a shelter. And what does that mean? He says the shelling might start at any minute now and, and, and people could die. And that's the first insight of learning the war the, the word war and as a child they always say you little so you're very short and you look up so you're like looking up to the sky looking up to the adults you look into their reaction you look in what they're doing so you have to follow on and when you see your own parents and villagers disorientated panicking shouting yelling at each other Something's completely wrong. So from a normal day to the chaos, there's two comparisons. It's like um, a sunny day to to the thunderstorm with lightning. So the shelling started and and we went to the neighbor's house. We stayed for a couple of days in a cellar. And all of a sudden she turned around and says, well, you're no longer safe here. You'd have to find your own way to safety. And we're thinking, well, (laughs) there's no safety here. People are already getting killed by shelling so we went opposite the house which was a bosnian house and they had a little cellar but it's like you have to lie down flat on your back and you have to kind of push yourself sideways to get in and i find that really scary i found it scary hearing that it claustrophobic there's no light and and all when we you kind of fall about a meter and a half in 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 like it's it's like a ditch it's underneath the house and i feel like what if that house gets destroyed by um grenade the whole house will be top of us we'll never be able to get out i heard the the rats you can hear the rats squeaking and you put your hand on it and you you see it's like infestation of rats Ugh. we decided to go back home the men would hide at the back of the houses because all of a sudden you hear soldiers coming in and um, 
looking for people to interview. And when you go for an interview, they put you in a concentration camps. We didn't know how many concentration camps were already formed, but you hear the Chinese whisper. In the war, you can hear so quickly the information travels. Now, we've been cut off from the world. There's no electricity, there's no water, there's no radio communication, nothing. Nobody knows. So we had auntie in Croatia trying to desperate find out whether we are alive, what has happened. No one could hear nothing. That's the first thing the Yugoslavian army did. They cut us from the world. At that point, soldiers were coming and asking questions. Who was involved in, in territorial army? And my dad, you know, always argued that we were all as villagers. Serbs, Croats, all these different nationals, we were all together, standing together to defend our women and children. Their motto was, we have to defend our women, civilians, women and children. And they were like civilian people guarding their village. And on and a particular occasion, they, they, they kind of swarm into the village so quickly that you, you get panic attack where you, wherever you are caught. Please don't move, the soldiers would would um, shout we, we come looking for such and such person and then a couple days later a military van turned up prior to that my dad spoke to me on the same day the tension's already there you've, you've already can smell the dead bodies being thrown into the bush killed and they didn't bother, they did not bother burying them. They had a sniper from the other side of the river. I remember Grandad going and burying two young lads that their heads were cut off. They were shooting at him. He came home crawling and Grandad was a right character. He, he wasn't a person that would easily get scared, but that day he was scared and he was saying, kids, this is serious now because there are dead bodies everywhere, thrown in the bush and everywhere. The two young guys with their head cut off. This is when we as a kids were absorbing that level of stress, which is, you cannot even comprehend it. Um, but you living through it to survive. We learned that, you know, the, the game of war is to try to survive. But it became so difficult that everybody's trying to survive and equally which means they do anything to survive and that's when things got nasty so within dad talking to me within a couple hours he said listen son if someone comes and asks you questions he says what kind of questions who was in the territorial army do you know what weapons they stand the other you're a child you went to school you followed your education you don't know nothing about it then I said dad what if these guys threaten to kill me he said you know you know even if they threaten to kill you they don't know what's in your head it's better they kill you than the whole village and i was like that's that's quite a lot yeah before you know it it, it, it was a very warm day i was in my shorts and my white vest the one the van came and it was a military van with six soldiers in it, and they all had a blue camouflage uniform. And I all remember, I always remember, they, they, they parked in front of the house in a village, and they didn't even stop, they were coming out. And you know these guys mean business, there's no messing about. And you only hear everybody out, they went, everybody's outside, they're asking my mom for money, jewelry and everything they had. Every day somebody's coming, different army unit, asking for jewelry. So you give them as much as you can, but also thinking... If sometimes if you don't give them, you get a beating, you potentially could get killed because you've hidden it, it's not there. So you give a little bit and try to save a little bit for the last day kind of thing. So me and dad were asked to get the flowers from um, from the fields that were hidden. Um, we were already running out of food and soldiers would take everything that we got. So... I've loaded that into the van and then the system, you need to follow us, we need to ask you some questions. And that's, you know, that feeling when at the first instance you get taken away from safety. Your safety is your front of your house, 
you've got mum, you've got dad, you've got grandparents, you've got um, extended family, you feel safe. Mm. I was shattered with fear. And the instructions were very clear. Come here, follow us. And, and the way they're saying it, my legs were cut off. And when I stood, you guys said, this is where you're going to get killed. So I'm put on front of the house. Who said this is where you're going to get killed? One of the soldiers. And I wetted myself straight away from fear. He said, um, you need to answer some questions if you want to live. If you don't answer the questions, you're going to be killed. I'm looking at these, 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 these six men, and you as a child of 13, you, you want to look at them. But prior to that, my dad says, whatever you do, try not to look at them because you've actually committing a suicide because these people will potentially hurt you or want to kill you so you become a victim did you recognize any of these men did you know them so one of them was my teacher and he was one of the last people to hurt me the basketball coach yeah uh, and they all taking turns at that time they call my dad he says go and get us a drink i thought this is good it's a good sign because they were the traditional Shlevovitz drink, which brings all the Yugoslavia together. It's a very strong spirit. Mm. It, 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 it's a sign of brotherhood. Everybody drinks it, Bosniaks, Croats, Serbs. And the more drink they had, it, 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 it become harder for me. She so says, we, we're going to put you on execution spot. We said, do you know anyone that, you know, I was in territorial army. I was just lifting my shoulders, you know, mimicking to these guys. I don't know. And he says, all right. He says, we, we haven't got time to play about. So they put me about 10 metres away. So he oversees the house. So my parents are on front of the house and then you've got uncle's house as well. And his family's also in front of the house. They've been interrogating all equally and asked questions. My uncle been hit with a rifle butt, so his son... And on, on the other side where my family is, they're just listening to the noises. I remember the, the soldier saying, where, where do you want to be shot? I was like, <laughs> don't know. Then it says to my dad, ask your dad for help. So at this point, dad is in front of me. Oh, I've been put on an execution spot. His head, he's, he, they've told him to put his head down and he's... His hands in front of him. I said, Dad, can you help me? He says, I can't help you. And then he goes, well, tell him you're going to get killed if he, your dad doesn't help you. I says, Dad, can you please help me? He says, I can't help you. I says, ask your dad again. So he hits me back of the head. I still got a scarf and I do cut my hair. It's a massive scar. So when he hit me, I rolled towards my dad and um, I says, Dad, please help me. These guys are going to kill me. He says, son, I can't help you. Now that's the teacher's words. That was him dealing with a child that just asked him a question prior to the war. Was that enough to set him off to come to home and, and torture a young child? And The fact that I was stubborn, I didn't follow his order like I did before, it felt like for him that I was dishonoring him. I just put him on an execution spot. So then this guy comes up, so he gets ready. And he says, where do you want to be shot? He says, do you want to be shot in your stomach, in your heart, in your leg? So the first shot was above my head. And all I heard is my mom saying, this killed my child. And you know when you watch films and you think your dad will jump in to save you, but it doesn't work like that. For like, the more the family member got worried and upset, he was adding the fuel to the fire. 
the more they drank, they became more brutal. And then the second shot, they went, they shot on the left side of me. And it says, okay, you've had all your chances. Um, now you're going to get killed. What was going through my head, he was just, I felt alone and I felt that the whole world is on top of me and I can't breathe and it was so quick. And those, every second I counted him like hours and I just wanted to get over and done with. And I, I, I remember I was so tense that all my clothes, by the way, were stripped and I felt the smell of, smell of death and when he sh when, when, when he shot it was a right side of me just m missing my hand and I felt that whiz and then later on I was told that one of the soldiers pushed the barrel of the gun because I didn't look at them the moment of life which I felt really I've had support of, of a relative girl that my uncle's house she comes out from the side of the house. He says, what are you doing that to a child? What's he done to you? One of the soldiers started walking towards her and said, do you want to get it? And I was looking at her, mimicking at her, go away, man, thinking I'm going to get killed anyway. Don't get yourself killed too. And even today I feel she's the bravest girl. But what made it worse is how you react when auntie comes over, my favourite auntie, I've got a mother, then auntie, she takes her hand, he says, don't get involved, nothing to do with you, takes away, that's probably the hardest moment in my life, I feel like, I cannot be helped, I cannot be saved, I'm on my own here, that felt hard, and one of the soldiers comes in, laughing he says have you seen one of these you must have he's kicking me at the same time the other soldier's got a buckle out of his waist of his trousers and he's hitting me with the buckle of the belt on my back i suffer with back problems for the rest of my life it's still even today last couple of weeks i've been really bad back of my leg hamstrings everywhere but that's nothing. I didn't feel the pain. You don't feel the pain at the time. So this guy got two grenades. And he said, these are activated. I don't know what he meant. Activated, not activated. First time I've seen these things. I never knew what to do. I've seen in parties and films. And we all watched it in school. Because he was a pride that the martial teeth in Yugoslav army beat the Germans, we felt proud of that. And even the ladies were throwing it. Once you throw, it activates itself. But I didn't know that you they were the, the, the pin it gets dislodged. And then it's you, you hold the handles and he says you hold these handles like your life depends on it. If you let it go, you'll blow yourself up. So he's put two grenades in your hand that he yeah. said if you let go are gonna blow you up. I've held them hard. And that was intense. But I thought at some point they automatically blow. Probably 15, 20 minutes. The longest 15, 20 minutes in my life. And the same guy comes laughing. And then the way of seeing the way he was concentrating to push the pins back in. I realized how scared he was pushing them back that they were activated. Thank God. And that wasn't enough. And then they started cutting with the knife. And I've had a cross, wig, little scar just here that missed my vein. So they cut a cross thing. into you. And there was a cross here. There was a cross on my chest. And as a consequence of that, it haunts me for the rest of my life. I was left in a puddle of blood, completely stripped to any kind of respect or humanity or one of them said kick me with the boots on my back and he said we'll come back to kill you and that resembles in my head 
quite a lot in my dreams. They did come back, didn't they? And they took you to the concentration camp. Yeah. And the concentration camp was your old school. Yeah. And the guards, again, the head guard was your basketball coach. And the other guards were your teachers. Well, I was spotted. They've had information. There was a question. I didn't answer any questions. I went to the toilet because after, after a couple of days, we, we were scared. We were in a social club on top of it. And we were scared to go to um, to the toilet, so I couldn't have had diarrhea. I'd run down. As soon as I crouched, someone looked at me, oh, you, follow me. There was a medical room, and they took me over there, full of smoke, and the walls are blasted with blood. They turned the medical room at school into a torture chamber, and they'd take you to the torture chamber. Yeah. I was beating up with a, with, a, with a rubber truncheon like a dog. Was it just the boys that they tortured at school? No, they tortured men. There was a concentration camp. This is not just torture, they killed. They were, they were, they were, men being killed and loaded into the, the lorries and... Um, at the school you were at? Yeah. While the school was a concentration camp, there were men being killed there. Did you Uh, see that? No, I I didn't see anyone being killed, but I know Ed Villiami, when he discovered the first concentration camp, it's the journalist, it's the British journalist, he discovered all of them. There was a barbed wire all around the the school that was turned into a camp. There were were men like skeletons, and these were our neighbours and friends. They haven't been fed. They've been tortured, beaten up and, and killed. One of the guys who was transporting those dead bodies, they were they were um throwing them in the Rybniak. So they've had um man made lake where we all used to swim. He says there was that blood pouring from that um from his truck that you could literally see the footpath where they were taken and then they would take a different lorry that washes the street and they were washing it when you were in the concentration camp were the were the young women and girls there were they tortured so the men and women are separated and disabled people so my dad had a heart operation so he was never conscripted to Yugoslavian army so he was with us all that time and what you'll also find that you have a soldier that lost his best pal on on a front line and he's coming out and just taking randomly 10 guys and shooting them, killing them on the spot. So you'd have a, a Serbian soldier that had lost his mate on the front line and he'd come to the concentration camp and take his anger out on the people in the concentration camp and, and murder them. Civilians, yeah. So they left, they, did they just leave the females alone? <laughs> no. In that room, they every night they kick the door and they take underage girls and I, we all heard the noises of, 15 and 16 years old girl being raped downstairs publicly by by them watching life and they were drinking heavily in the night the guards and they would just rape the girls and then they would throw her back eventually you were loaded onto a train yeah the car- carriages for animals and um, we were transported to side of Bosnia that was controlled by the Bosnian army. When we stopped, we stopped in the middle of the bridge. He says, everybody, out. What stroke me? And it was probably the worst moment of war and how brutal, how immoral, how inhumane was people, disabled people in wheelchairs, people that there were like, Disabled, they couldn't talk, or they couldn't. They've, there were people with huge disabilities. The soldiers and soldiers always had a gun on across their shoulders. They was always kind of ready to shoot you. Mm. They pointing a gun at the family members because there's no access to wheelchair to push people off the bridge. And I've seen a woman didn't want to push her son, and they pushed both of them. But that sound of people falling off the bridge and my mom kept like turning my head to look in front of me. You you walking away. They were throwing people off the bridge. Yeah. 
people alive that be thrown disabled people because they can't push the wheelchair no it's like who was throwing them off the bridge the soldiers soldiers serbian soldiers did you think you were going to get thrown off the bridge yeah when you when you got off the train you were running and you where did you go like what where were you there going? was a tunnel the tunnel separates it's like a no man's land the tunnel's no man's land the other side of the tunnel the bosnian army so they're taking you to that tunnel and said you go or pushing you off the says you you gotta go once you cross that side but we thought we maybe there were booby traps we thought sometime we heard stories where they go with the tanks and they just run people over so we thought we'll hurdle together like sheep we'll get close to each other and just hope for the best we're waiting and soldiers are shouting from the other says come over you are safe now this is bosnian army but we learned through the war and through the past not to trust the soldiers because they, they do all kind of tricks and you just get killed exactly the same as what i mentioned earlier yet yeah, you're going to safety get a bit of money you'll be saved and they kill people they're throwing them off the cliff so we didn't move until the soldiers start coming to us and remember with torches saying look we're bosnian army and that feeling of freedom something the words will never explain until you live through it and every time because my wife lives the other side of bosnia from where we are so we kind of northwest of bosnia she's central so i have to pass that road to get and every time i drive past to get to to where she lives it reminds me of that day and i have to drive through the tunnel and it's like you get to drive through the tunnel now all the time I do, you know, every, every year I go on a holiday, so I do a couple of times a year. And then you walk out of that tunnel. It's just like... And then you find that, they say, the stress, the amount of energy you burn, it's unbearable. The water, I've, 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 there's women and children standing on the side of um, the street, and they were just passing... Um, like a pies, cheese pies, um, and water. And I had a bottle of a liter of water. It wasn't interested in the food. When I started gulping that water, I didn't stop until the bottle was empty. The best bottle of water that I ever enjoyed drinking in my entire life. And it was a sign of freedom, you know. You look at the sky and you were allowed to look. You're allowed to look all around you. You still fully don't trust people. It took us months to trust people. You're just thinking, mm, is this a setup? So I'm going to briefly sort of gloss over. I mean, it's a big part of your story, but I'm going to sort of going to gloss over it a little bit because if you know, someone's listening to this and they want to know more about the details, because they can have a read of your book, which is incredible. Um, we've literally covered the first third of it, maybe the yeah. first half of it. Um, so you move, so you you move to the UK, you move to Birmingham, um, and you don't speak the language. You get put into schools, you struggle all the way through school because you're fighting. You got PTSD. You're getting into scraps every other day. You, you're finding it hard to make friends. You're finding it extremely difficult to fit in to the country you work your way through school you finally make it to a point where you're making some friends and you're becoming accepted in your high school and you made a speech to your whole high school and you could still barely speak english can you remember what the speech was i bosnia war i my teacher tortured me. My family killed. War. I don't like war. I don't like no weapons. No troubles. I want peace. And I... It's probably the hardest speech that I ever did in my life was so tense and I've had a piece of paper that I've written to it. Pronunciation was a nightmare. Um, 
And I looked around and all these bullies and teachers were all crying. They were so moved by it. so wonder. Received so much pain, but the pain was in my eyes. The pain was my facial expressions and body language. To be so brave, to stand in front of the holies. Yeah, head. And just say a few words that no one ever heard me speaking. They really touched. And the first time I felt compassion by people. And that day... I found my voice as able to communicate with the world, as able to gain trust, as able to be accepted as a human being, able to be accepted as a normal person who wasn't categorized as mentally ill, crazy child. And when I was checked by the doctor, medical doctor, when we first landed in Birmingham, in mosque. He made it very clear <clears throat> to my parents, this is the child suffers bad PTSD. My mom says, you know, what medication he takes to get well? It's, he says, it's, it's not an easy thing. He'll follow him for the rest of his life and don't be surprised. Um that this child, it won't be a normal child, it won't be able to communicate with people, won't be able to get education, won't be able to get a job, it won't be able to start a family. This is when I felt, I'm in a freedom now, I've been through so much, I've been thrown in a deep end again, and it's not fair, and somebody, a medical professional saying, what PTSD, never heard the phrase, but I, I was, fairly agreeing in my head that he's wrong and I I'm strong I worked out that I only have one thing that no one around me has got no experience with and, and, and I worked out in my head that I could put off with any pain by myself and I can cope with it and I thought that would be my starting point to build myself up but then again going to back school assembly then I come up with a smile and even when I went to drama school a smile lasted for good years ahead of me until I had a various treatment and when I was nervous or tense under pressure when I was beaten up by those bullies I'd smile at them but when I smiled he says he's crazy. We kicking his head in. We they used to wet themselves on me. They used to um, they used to urinate they used on to you. piss on me. Um, I used to smile. He says he likes that. He enjoys to do more. So the more I smile, the more they hit me. Mm. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How was it when you first went back to Bosnia? Because who was on your family farm and your house and things? Like, What was that situation? Well, the Serbs that, were, that they've lost their houses from from the other side of Bosnia, the refugees, they were put in our houses. So you have a sol ex-soldier that lost his leg, he was put in the new accommodation because the Serbs initially thought we'll never go back. But we went back. It's even now on the Republic of Srpska, um, people are deprived of jobs if you're Bosnian. It was hard to get to work in um, in a public sector, 
and um, we thought that town, the infrastructure is still, there's no infrastructure we wanted to rebuild. So did you get your house back? Is that- well, we had to sensibly, my dad had to negotiate the people to leave and he was giving them money to say, look, it can contribute that much for you to, to make a leave. And, and it was quite normal for people just try to, he said, look, as much as you are refugees, you've been displaced, we've dis- been displaced. And we did have a mutual understanding, but what hurt me quite a lot, observing a couple of people, and one of them, he didn't have a leg. So I've asked him, where's your leg? He says, I've lost a leg in the war. So that means the same person who was killed probably a lot of people, he's been praised and given, oh, here's a house for you, free of charge, you can live there, nobody will hurt you. And that was quite hurtful. You, you, a first day going back to my country, a three years old child that turned out to be at a time he was... 13 when we first went back my younger brother he was crying he he was three and he says he remembered images of Mm. what we had in the farm and he was crying i wasn't really crying i was just i've had bad memories and i was quite reluctant to think about what happened i was still i was in a good place mentally i didn't want to go back Mm. to that state of mind but that soldier a person that lost his leg, he was quite hurtful going to Osman's house and there's another family living, a Serb, and you go to, you go all across the village, there's Serbs. Those are the same people that, not them, but the Serbian people kicked out, ethnically cleansed us. We lost a lot of family members. Now our family have been replaced by another Serbian people that lost their homes. It was very ironic and... Um, difficult they were they were reasonable they mm. left but you had to kind of sweeten them up and give them something to move on and 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 it took time um it was it was the process that we followed but after what we've been through the main thing that we were celebrating we are alive we survived well, now we live in uk and there's many children men and civilians that didn't make it and we're quite privileged that we made it part of the getting back to normal phase is integrating with the people that you were essentially at war at so you you know you're separated yeah yeah you're you're all you're all coming back together tell me about marina yeah um at this point my family started putting pressure on me about the girlfriend but I've been through so many different stages of life. The last thing I'd, I'd worry about getting a girlfriend. I wanted, I've had those three main skills that I wanted to build in life, to, to to build in my life, to better myself. You know, to stand out. I was spending a lot of time in the gym, and a particular time, the person I was working, he said, "I um, have a family um, feast. Can you cover the gym that day?" So yeah, fine. And a smile comes on, and my wife will kill me. The girl, the girl turned up and... This is in Bosnia, isn't it? Yeah, so I was at the gym, and um, she had the black hair, and I, I've just watched and observed it. She she took the money to pay for the monthly um, membership, and it was very sweaty money she took out. She must have been holding in hand. She says, I just want to um, extend my membership. And I, I says, I'm just standing in for the guy. I'll see if I can help you. So she's gone training, and then she comes back again. And she says, can you do it? I says, can and I says, yeah, I'll, I'll have a look. So I've looked at those membership. They've had a, a paper membership cards, and I looked at it, and I wrote the date for a month, and I've extended it and stuff. And um, she's gone training. I'm beginning to, as, as a young man, to look at the girl like you do. She was a good-looking girl, and... Um, she was at the machine. She says, I need some help. So I've, I've gone in and helped. And um, she came following there and I was there. And we got talking. It's almost like, well, she did tell me at the end, she's done a lot of research because I already, I've been a public figure of a few newspaper articles written about me, the refugees dumped in Birmingham, the success of a refugee. And it was all in English. Some of them had translation in Bosnian. 
the Bosnian community role. And she knew a lot about me. I never had really girls finding any interest in me. I was workaholic, I was in my own zone. I started opening up to her about my struggles. And then she listened. We, it was very similar to Romeo and Juliet. We were hugging each other and most kissing. And I cried in her lap for hours and hours for a couple of days, telling her everything. And she wiped my tears and she cried with me and she felt sorry for me. But she said that she was... Her father's a Croat and her mother was um, Bosnian Muslim. So I thought, I can pass that. My parents will be fine with that. But never did I think, because Marina could be Croat name or Serbian name, never did I think that she'd be a, a Serbian. But even though if she was in, I'm already falling for her. I'm falling in, in love. I. But then uh, people start going back saying, do you know she's Serbian? I said, she said, she said to me that she's half Croat, half Bosnian Muslim. And um, then kind of alarm bells going th started going through my head until a cousin came. You can sense he was a nice guy, but he wasn't fully agreeing that we should be together. And you can see, you can feel it from the distance. And her cousin said, I, I'd, I'd like to talk to you briefly about Marina. And the way I am, I brush people off straight away. So I brushed him off. I said, mate, it's got nothing to do with you. But he says, if you see this, he might do. And he was back in the days, the Nokia old phone, and he's had a picture. She's wearing national Serbian outfit with the Republic of Srpska flag and all the nationalist uniform that nationalist parties celebrate every year. That hit me really hard. So the same uniform as the army would wear. Yeah. The people that tortured you. Yeah. And she was wearing that in the photo. Yeah. When I seen her following day, I said, what's this? She says, you can't blame me. It's the influence of friends. I says, hang on, you told me you, your mother's Bosnian Muslim and, and, your, um, and your father's a Croat. She says, what's this, Marina? She says, these are my friends. It's got nothing to do with anything. I've just wore that once. I says, no, Marina, you could have been friends. You're part of National Party. I didn't know none of that. What we were talking about and what I fell in love with you is for who you are as, as, a, as a person, as a beautiful human being that listened to my story. Um, you sympathised with me. Um, you felt sorry what happened to me. And, and you, gave, you gave me a chance to forgive Serbs for what they've done, but you've just destroyed everything and everything that I live against. It's, it's you've kind of proved that the, these people still exist, they're still around, and you're one of them. I said, Marina, this is the last time you'll see me. And she said, no, no, no. She said, you'll get over this. It's, it's, it's misunderstanding that was some time ago. I said, some time ago, no. She says, this is only a couple of weeks ago. Was going out with me. She was attending, they call it Zbar. It's, it's a well-known Serbian a date they take out and they have this celebration of nationalist parties and they all gather together. Obviously all of friends were Serbian. So I says, even if you went to Zbar with your Serbian friends, fine. But if you had your civil outfit, I would have no problem as much. I could live with it. You got that, the hat, the, all the Republic of Serbska flag and symbols and stuff. It's out of it. She was phoning me for the year. She phoned you for a year? Yeah. Gosh. From Bosnia for someone to phone you for a year. It's, it's, it's a big thing. Yeah. She thought I was so much in love that I would never leave her. But she didn't know that I'm a very, very strong person. When I said, no, it's done. Or when I yeah. said, I'll do something, I'll do it. I says, over the phone. So he, he, she says, you're going to dump me over the phone. I says, it wasn't over the phone. It was that day when I told you. In person, me and you are done. And then I took Cameron and Ibi, my best friends from Birmingham, after a year, they want to see Mustard Bridge where you've been. Yeah, it's a beautiful spot. I've been there. Yeah. Amazing spot. 
and you took you took your mates on a on a journey to show them your homeland and you uh took a few detours to, to meet another lady didn't you Mursad? <clears throat> pretty much ruined their holiday the just so you life. could chase after a lady who is now your wife yeah and and layla's most amazing wonderful person so so it's all ended up well with you you're with layla now you're married you've got children yeah. and you've got a gym in uh in bosnia that's looking after the community uh there's so much to your story that we haven't covered <laughs> there is so much to your story that we haven't covered and you know we could literally covered probably a quarter of the questions that i had written down but if someone does want to know more about your story the boy who said nothing the book you can get that anywhere you can get most books uh, it's 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 mind-blowing the stuff that you've been through not just the stuff that we've talked about today but all the stuff that you went through when you got to the uk as well as a refugee and how you were treated like the your friends with Arnold Schwarzenegger, like how that all came about. It's it's all in the book and um, it's an incredible story. So thank you so much for sharing such a small part of it with us today. You're welcome. You're welcome. And I, I hope your audience will um, try to open the page of my life with insight of finding some kind of incredible energy that they could channel their lives and little troubles they might have in life to gain such hope and light for um way out of any situation i i, I always found a way out life brings us different challenges and we all deal in a different way but i always say when a day goes wrong the most simple thing to achieve it whether it's I don't know, cleaning a carpet and they'll set you off to the bigger challenges. And I always use that kind of way of looking at things and I've done enough to make me and my family proud. You've certainly, I'm sure you've done that and some. And yeah, once again, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. If you're listening to this and you want to know more about Mursad, make sure you buy The Boy Who Said Nothing and... If you like this interview, leave us a review uh, wherever you're listening to it. I'll make sure that the reviews personally get passed on to Mursad and make sure you also check us out on YouTube as well. We'll, we'll be showing um, large portions of this interview. Thank you.